Well, we're in our new series here tonight. We're going to be in 1 Kings, the first chapter. As I was looking through, seeing when the last time it was that we covered Kings, I can't find anything written on it. So it means if we did cover it, it would have been prior to 98. But uh, I seem to have a recall that we did do the first and second Kings before, but of course that may have been someplace else, not here. <laughs> Could have. Yeah. No, no, I, I was uh, pastoring before this one, so may have been, may have been someplace else we did it. Uh, but I, I was sort of thinking that uh, we'd already done it here. But anyway, uh, I know we've covered this at least before. This is the transition between David and Solomon and some of the things that had gone on it. But it has been a very long time since we had covered at least this story. But this is where it all starts out. We finished off the previous book, First and Second Samuel which actually was one book, just as this, First and Second Kings, was actually one book. It was not two. We split it up, uh, translators did, just to make it easier, because they are long. Mm. Chapter 1, Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our lord the king, and let her, let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our lord the king may... Be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her, did not have sexual relations with her. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. So this is basically giving us a scenario that David is kind of helpless. He's at the end of his life. He has not made the action to put somebody else in charge. He's still in charge, and because of it, um, his oldest son at the time, it's the fourth oldest, but it is his oldest son at the time, uh, is kind of taken, going to usurp the throne. So David uh, can't even keep warm by himself, and so they go out there and they find this young gal, uh, and they find someone very beautiful. I think really what they wanted to find was someone very warm. <laughs> if that's the idea. <laughs> I don't understand this. Why don't they just go get one of his wives? I mean, <laughs> you know... Because unfortunately for this gal, she's, uh, she's kind of done after this. She's going to be, even though David didn't have a, a marriage type of relationship with her, um, she really can't marry anyone else after this. So it's kind of over for her. Uh, it seems kind of a shame that they would, uh, they would do that. But anyway, that's, that's kind of how it is. It's what they did. So Adonijah, who was, as we said, David's fourth son... Uh, two others have already been been killed because of the different things that uh, had gone on. Absalom all centered around him. Absalom killed one of them. And then Absalom, of course, died in the revolt and rebellion. And there was one other one that is mentioned, and it just seems like he died somewhere along the way. Because uh, not much is mentioned about him afterwards. It's just, um, he just kind of disappears on this. So it comes down to Adonijah. And generally, the oldest son is the one who would take the the place. And so he's just kind of saying, uh, well, I'm just going to go ahead out here and do this. He says, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Mr. Keith, is that one running out over there? I mean, everything is filled with fuel. I don't know why it would be going down. If it is, it's just I, I smell a little bit of something. If it's looking okay, then that may not be what it is, but it sure don't look very bright from up here. We just don't want that. You can probably just take it outside if you just want to be on the safe side of it. Well, and we'll uh, do that. I think we're, we're plenty warm in here as it is. Thank you. 
So Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good-looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Absalom, of course, was talked about. He was good-looking. He had long, beautiful hair. So apparently there was something in the genes, and it worked that they uh, had good-looking kids, whatever it might be. But uh, he follows the exact same pattern. This is not necessarily a set pattern, but he follows the same pattern that Absalom does when Absalom tries to take the throne with all the horsemen and the 50 men before him and all that sort of stuff. If you go back and you look at the comparison, he took exactly what Absalom did. Now, you would think, you'd think well, it didn't work for Absalom. Maybe you try something different. But he didn't do that. He did the same thing. And Now, what it says here, his father had not rebuked him any time by saying, why have you done so? Uh, two ways you can look at this. One, he could be saying David knew something about what Adonijah was trying to do, taking over the throne, and didn't never rebuke him for it which is a possibility, or it could be that he just never said no to him the whole, his whole life. Uh, one of them is true. We're just not sure which one it is. Uh, if it seemed that David didn't know, because at least when the plot is made known, he acts like he didn't know what was going on, but maybe suddenly now he's got help, he's going to have ask them for, uh, to, or commission him to do some things. So then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. Now, Joab and Abiathar are very loyal to David. They are not trying to undermine David in any way. It would seem that, and as we get into this, you're going to see that the promise to Solomon is known. It's not something that was just done between him and Bathsheba. It it was known. Uh, His sons knew it. Solomon knew it. the, the prophet knew it. Uh, some of the other priests knew it. They all knew this promise was there. So it would seem that Joab and Abiathar knew of the promise as well. But they decided to side on the side of, um, of Adonijah and, and put him in there. They may be thinking that David made a wrong promise, that this guy is more of a warlike king. And of course, Joab would like that. He would be uh, much happier with with that, he was happier with a, a guy like Absalom uh, as well. Uh, David is a warrior type of a king, and Joab relates to that very well. Solomon is not. And Solomon, as far as we know, you know, there are, well, the Bible says there are no wars during his time. I don't know that that means he, was, he couldn't have been a warrior type of a king. He was, he was tough. He was, not, um, he was not a pushover. But he wasn't the, the warrior that David was. Because David had been in uh, the army for quite a while. So he confers with Joab and Abiathar, and they are helping Adonijah. But Zadok, the priest, Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shemai, and Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. So they apparently you know, did some polling or they made some surmises. Well, these guys are not going to be on our side. And they left them off the list. Either they had some people go in and kind of just, you know, what do you think about who's going to be king? And if they came right out and says, well, David's already made the decision. It's going to be Solomon. And if they didn't feel like they could be swayed off of that, then they would leave them out. What Adonijah needs to do is get momentum on his side. He needs a bunch of the people to feel like he is king. Things have, have gone that way because he knows he's not picked to be king. Now, this isn't a God pick. It isn't that God picked Solomon. God picked David. 
and one of David's sons was going to become king. It seems that David picked Solomon. We don't know if David did it out of guilt because of what had gone on with Bathsheba, uh, because the first son died, because of the sin that David had done, and as part of the consoling of her, look, when we have another one, I'm going to make him king. Even though he would be a lot further down in the, in the line, well, I'm going to make him king. And whatever it was, I mean, it was a, it seemed like anyway, it was a good pick in the beginning. Of course, Solomon doesn't turn out to be one who stays steadfast in it, but uh, he certainly did in the beginning. So anyway, there's a split here. Zadok, Benaniah, Nathan, and some other uh, folks, of course, all the mighty men that were that belonged to David, they're not on the Adonijah side. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatted calf, cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the mighty man, or Solomon, his brother. Now, these, now if you invite all the other brothers, but not this one, then we know something's going on with this one. So Adonijah knows Solomon is supposed to be king. He's trying to take this while his father is not doing anything. He's trying to come in there to take it out. Uh, either David has not said no to him all along the process, or David has not said no to him all his life. And David had some other problems with some other kids along these lines, so it seemed to be, we could believe the second one, certainly. So as we said, he's uh, uh, Donijah is David's fourth-born. Uh, Joab and Abiathar, these are two who have been very loyal to David. And there is a purpose behind a list of those uninvited we can't let them get in because if we, uh, if David gets word of this or if this gets stopped before the momentum gets going, um, he, he's not going to quite work. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not <clears throat> heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And David, our Lord, does not know it. Come, please let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Reason he's saving their life is if Adonish is leaving him off the invitation list, mm-hmm. once he gets to be put in king, he has to remove the threat. If he sees them as a threat before, he's going to continue to see them as a threat afterwards. And he'll need to execute both Solomon and Solomon's mom. That's just the way kings behave. That's why God said you don't want a king. <laughs> kings are uh, not good. But uh, that, you know, we do want a king just like all the other nations. So he says, go immediately to King David and say to him, did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, surely your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? So uh, it's, it's very clear to Nathan that this promise was made. He knows about it. He's telling Bathsheba about this. The promise was made to you guys. If, if we don't act on this now, you and him are going to die. Now, it would seem to me, too, that Nathan, if he's going to act on this, he's acting on it more than just the basis of a promise from David to Solomon and David to Bathsheba. I think Nathan must see that there's more righteousness and more god fearingness in one over the other. And maybe that's why he's uh, going. Don't know that for sure, but certainly it could, uh, could certainly be. If David has not said no to him all his life, then certainly he's probably... Not a real spiritual person. Probably more spoiled than anything else. Then while you are still talking, there 
there with the king, I will also come in after you and confirm your words. Now, this seems like an underhanded plot, but it's not. It's just simply David has not been acting on a whole lot. He's been laying around trying to keep warm and he's not acting as a king. So we have to get him to act because it cannot wait until later. David has shown an increasing amount of inactivity and indecisiveness, maybe even. And so what we have to do is it has to go now because we don't get this thing going now. David does not realize this is something urgent. It has to get done now. And he lets it go for another hour, another couple hours, another day. It's over. So we, we have to get him to, to go. So he's trying to really get past the problem that David is posing for them. David is posing a problem of inactivity and indecisiveness, or uh, at least he doesn't feel like he's going to jump on this right away. So what are we going to do about this? Well, here's what we're going to do. You go in first. She didn't know about this, but you go in first. I'm telling you, this is what's going on. You go in, and I'll come right in behind you and confirm it. Because if David gets the word from his wife that this is happening, surely he's going to get somebody, hey, will you go out there and check this out and make sure this is going on? We don't have that kind of time. So Nathan says, let's just bypass that. You go in, I'll come in right afterward, because it is going on. We're not deceiving David. We're just trying to get David to act with the same amount of urgency that we are acting with, because otherwise it's, it's not going to be good. So while you're still talking with the king, I will also come in after you and confirm your words. So I don't see this as anything underhanded by Nathan, uh, anything that he shouldn't have done or anything he's going to get in trouble for. Um, you know, sometimes, if you, have you had a boss... And you present things a certain way, you know, he's not going to act on it that way. But if I present it this way, then maybe he'll do. Yeah, it's, it, they're, they're just adjusting to what David needs to get this thing going. Now, Adonijah, as we said, he has the birthright. Because all the other three brothers ahead of him are dead. But Solomon had the promise. Of course, we see that other times in the Word of God, too. So it's not written anywhere. We can, you can go search in your Bible. You will not find a promise written from David to Bathsheba, from God to Solomon, anything like that. There is no promise written. But Nathan knew about it. Bathsheba knew about it. Other people knew about it. And Adonijah certainly knew about it. And um, verse 15. So Bathsheba went into the chamber of the king. Now the king was very old and Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. Don't know what that means because there was other things besides getting into bed and keeping him warm. Apparently she was doing some stuff by the bedside, but... Um, I don't know. I think that'd be a very awkward position, if, or situation to be in, if she's in the bed keeping him warm, and in comes the wife. Of course, this is a different set, set of circumstances. The king here, and uh, I don't know. But anyway, and Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king, and the king said, "What is your wish?" And then she said to him, "My lord, you swore by the Lord your your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon your son shall reign after me; he shall sit on my throne.'" So now look, Adonijah has become king. And now, my lord the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fatted calf, sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king. Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he is not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. Well, once David dies, of course you're going to replace the king. But sometimes they would replace the king if the king became unable to perform the duties of the king. And that's really what should have gone on. David uh, was not able to be king anymore, and he should have 
dealt with this sooner. Verse 22. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Nathan said, O Lord, my Lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And look, they are eating and drinking before him, and they say, Long live King Adonijah. But he has not invited me, your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king? So he's basically bringing his attention to, look, have you done something? Have you changed your mind? Have you put somebody else in charge? If you did, I just want to let you know it's all going on just like he's trying. But if you didn't, it's going on behind your back. Uh, you just tell me what you want to do and I'll make sure I get out there and get it done. But um, I wasn't invited to this thing and a few other people weren't invited to this thing. I think you know what that means if they're not being invited. And David was able to put all those things together. Uh, I already gave you the other blank. There are Adonijah patterns of ceremony after Absalom. So we got the sacrifices and ceremony. They're all added to give the appearance that they were doing what God and the king wanted. But it was only what they wanted. They had all the sacrifices. They had all the pomp and circumstances. They had all the music playing. They had some priests there. It looked right. But it's not right because it's not what was supposed to happen. Put in your outline that David had not been the best father. But the choice to follow the wrong way was ultimately Adonijah's. There's a lot of people who want to say, well, you know, I didn't have a good relationship with my dad. I didn't have a good relationship with my mom. My parents didn't do this. I didn't have this. And, you know, that's why I turned out this way. No, you turned out that way because you decided to. And until people begin to take ownership of why they are the way they are, they're going to keep on being that way. We looked at uh, David before uh, some time ago, but David had a terrible relationship with his parents. His father uh, almost despised him. And even after he uh, did some very heroic things, he still didn't look on him very, very well. And David turned out okay because David decided to. People need to decide. Adonijah did not. He decided to go uh, a wrong way. And uh, ultimately, that's his decision, and he will bear the responsibility of it. Put in your outline, though, bad beginnings don't have to be bad endings. Just because a thing starts bad doesn't mean it have to end bad. We saw that with David and Bathsheba. had a bad, uh, a bad beginning, but it had a good ending. Uh, Adonijah had a, a bad beginning here. It can have a good ending, but it's not going to. <laughs> but it, it does, just because it starts bad doesn't mean it has to continue on that way. Mm-hmm. We have some other things in the, in the Word of God where people started bad, but they got better. Mm-hmm. And they, they changed some things. You also have some people who started good and got bad. So just because it starts wrong doesn't mean it has to stay that way. You can fix it. Verse 28. Then King David answered. And call, is it called Bathsheba to me? So apparently she leaves the room when Nathan comes in. And now she's ushered back in. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall be king after me. He shall sit on my throne in my place, so I certainly will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, Let my lord King David live forever. And the king David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king also said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, 
Now Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. Therefore let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, Long live King Solomon. So we're counteracting this. We're kind of skipping past a lot of the, the stuff to get to the important part. Blow the horn. Say, Long live King Solomon. Do the anointing process. Get this thing going. Give him the throne and then put him on uh, uh, my throne. He says, put him on my mule. Walk him on through. If you were to ride the king's mule without permission from the king, you were killed. So when they see Solomon riding on and they know, apparently they recognize it's the king's mule. I don't know how you can tell one mule from another. But I'm sure he's got some uh, very good coloring or for mules or whatever it might be. Anyway, they, uh, they knew it was the king's. And here's Solomon riding on the mule. Uh, verse 36, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my lord, the king, say so too. And as the Lord has been with my lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon. Make his throne greater than the throne of my lord, King David. So he commissions all the right people, all the people who were not invited. He commissions Zadok, Nathan, Benaniah, the king's guard, and probably the mighty men were also there. Uh, I'm sure word got that they weren't they weren't invited to it as well. And so you probably had all the mighty men involved in the procession. And I tell you what, they were the heroes of the day. These were people that were well known. They defended the land, defended the country. All these guys are, are walking on through. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherith, the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on the king's David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. They blew the horn and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. Huh. And all the people went up after him. And all the people. So what? They want one party and go to the other party. Wait a minute. I thought you were making him king. Yeah, we're over here now with this one. I put this in your outline for you. The thickness of inconsistent people. Some people, folks, are just fickle. They'll be with you, then they'll be against you. They're missing some, uh, some stabilizing ingredients. First off, generally, inconsistent, fickle people, especially in the body of Christ, miss it on two, two spots. First, they don't obey God. They may hear about God. They may know about God. They may know His Word. We're not, not, those things do not cause you to be stable. They help. You have to know what it says in order to do it. But too many people rest there. They just want to collect the knowledge of God. I can, you can talk to a lot of Christians and they can spew out a whole lot of knowledge of the Word of God. But they're inconsistent and they are fickle. And they change from day to day. Because they don't simply do what God says on a regular basis. Maybe they do what God says once a week, on occasion. But that's not going to produce stability. What produces stability is doing the Word of God. Remember the story that Jesus gave in the, the parables. What is the difference between the guy who has the house on the sand and the guy who has the house on the rock? They both heard the Word. One heard it and did it, and the other one heard it and didn't. If you want to be stable, you must do whatever God's Word says to do. On a regular basis. Here's the second one. Standing for God. Some people will back down. And they won't make that stand for God. But then there's people. 
like Daniel, like his three buddies who make a stand for God. There's Paul who makes a stand for God. There's Peter who at first wasn't making a real, real strong stand, but then, uh, boy, he, he made a strong stand. And it changes them. If you will do what God says to do on a regular basis and constantly make a stand for God, you will be very stable. Those are the two things you need to do. You go through the Word of God, you find the most stable, the most unmovable people. These are the things they do. They obey God and they stand for Him. Moses was, was strong. He was mighty. He was a, a head and shoulders above everybody else. But he was not stable because he couldn't make a stand for things until he went away in the wilderness. And when God called him back again, he was still a little bit wishy-washy, but he shored himself up. And when he got to that spot where he would stand in front of Pharaoh, and he would stand in front of the children of Israel, no matter what, he stood for the side of God, you saw a different Moses. Those are the things we need to have. Obey God and stand for God. You do those things and you'll be in good shape. Jumping ahead to 1 Kings 2, verse 10. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. And in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat in the throne of his father David. And his kingdom was firmly established. In the beginning of Solomon's reign, he will do what God says. And he will stand for God. But you're going to see that that's going to become eroded. The woman that he's going to be marrying, he's going to marry a lot of women, and they're going to cause him to not stand for the things of God. They're going to, he's going to cause them to not do what God has said to do. And you're going to see he's not going to be as stable. Back over to 1 Kings, verse 41. Now Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, What is the city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, and Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you are a prominent man, and bring good news. <laughs> see, good news is associated with certain ones, just like we've talked about this before. You're watching the movie, you see the guy show up. Oh, he's, he's a bad guy. He's the one who did it. You know it. If a certain woman shows up, you know, she always plays the, 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 the wicked people. Always plays the wicked ones. I know she's, she's, uh, she's the culprit here. She's the, she's the one. Yep, we... Uh, we can kind of figure that out. But they're wrong here. It's, uh, he's not bringing very good news. Then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mules. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, had anointed him king at Gihon, and they've gone up from their rejoicing, so the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Also, Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. Also, the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. And that comes from the king. All the people are there. They see the king declare Solomon to be... You don't have a shot now. He, he wasn't able to get the momentum going. You know, it's just kind of like when you're watching a football game. You know, everybody's always talking about momentum. And you see the momentum going for one team. And then all of a sudden, a series of events happen. And the momentum begins to shift. And you know, oh, well, that's it. 
I mean, you're, that team may still be losing because they're going to win this game because the, the momentum has shifted. And, and uh, it's the same thing here. He's trying to get the momentum on his side. Now, suddenly, a huge momentum shift has occurred. And he realizes this is not going to happen. Verse 49, so all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose, and each one went his way. There are guests inside the house. There are guests outside the house. Again, one's outside the house, went where the noise was. Eventually, one's inside the house also went. Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying that King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And Solomon said, Now notice this, Solomon does not fawn all over the guy. He just simply says this. He doesn't go after him and say, Oh, come on, please come out of there. Don't be doing this. No, he just says, Solomon says, if he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. I'm not going to try and convince you to come out. You want to stay in there? Stay in there. I don't care what you do. As long as you're a good man, as long as there's no wickedness in you, nothing's going to happen to you. Now, Adonijah wasn't going to do that with Solomon. Regardless of whether it was wickedness or not in Solomon, he was going to kill him. But Solomon says, no. As long as there's no wickedness found in him, he shall, he shall die. So he, uh, he says, look, I, let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death. Solomon never does it. He just simply states a fact. If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. And this is a good, strong statement with, of Solomon. He's not bowing to Adonijah and doing what Adonijah wants. Adonijah wants... You know, I want, it, I want it signed, I want it written down, I want, I want you to swear to me. that and Solomon says, no, just tell him. As long as he's okay, I'll be fine. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before King Solomon. And Solomon said, go to your house. <laughs> That's it. Well, he was just out there trying to usurp the throne. He really is deserving of death. But Solomon doesn't do it. Now, he is a threat to Solomon, but Solomon won't view him as a threat. He's, he starts out real good. He's seen David as putting him in charge and that God's blessings are on him to be in charge and to be uh, king over the land. And he doesn't have to do that himself. Saul never got to this place. Saul was always a little funny in that area. Now he hides, uh, he grabs hold of the horns of the altar. He is not in the temple because the temple's not built yet. Solomon builds the temple. He's in the tabernacle of David. I think I put in your uh, outline there in First uh, Chronicles 22, verse 6 to 9. That's the commission to build the temple. That's where David's going to commission Solomon. This is what I want you to do when you build the temple. This is the stuff I put aside for. This is what I got. God told me I can't do it, but you can. So you're going to build. You're going to be the builder of the temple. And that's in First Chronicles 22. But in Acts chapter 15 and verse 16, it says this: After this, I will return and will rebuild, not the tapper, not the temple. The tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up. So when, God, when this promise comes in, God says, he's not coming to rebuild the temple. He's coming to rebuild the tabernacle of David. This is where Adonijah is hiding. He's grabbing hold of the horns of the altar that are in the tabernacle of David. Why wouldn't God do the temple? Well, David was a man after his own heart. And he built this for God. And, and apparently God, was in, God really liked that. You know, sometimes you can have a mansion, 
but sometimes you got that nice, cozy little cottage. I don't know, I guess uh, you compare the two of them. Temple's like a mansion. What David had built was <laughs> nothing quite like it. And uh, God says, I want that again. I like that space. And he will, he will come back down and he will rebuild the tabernacle of David. Just always kind of funny that that's the one that God picks to rebuild. And, or that's predicted anyway in Acts 15. So sometimes people want a position because they think they, a couple of things, uh, first off, they deserve it. How many times have you been around people? They want a position. They want a position in the church. They want a position in your company. They want a position in your life because they think they deserve it. You ever heard people say that? Well, look at what I've done for you. Well, look what I've done for this company. Well, look how long I've been here. Some people want a position because they think they deserve it. Adonijah probably thinks he deserves. I deserve to be king. I'm the oldest son. And he probably went through all the qualifications of what a king should be and compared himself to Solomon. And Solomon probably came up short in his, uh, his estimation. And Adonijah sees himself as better. Hey, I deserve it. Just because people want a position in your life and they see themselves as having deserved it doesn't mean you ought to give it to them. Make sure you understand that. Don't ever fall into to guilt. When people that put guilt chips on you and try and pull you into something, nope. So the first thing is they deserve it. Uh, second, they are qualified for it. They go on through and they, they list their qualifications. You ever had this when you were a boss? You elevated one person over another? And that person that you overlooked, they began to go, but I'm more qualified. I have this and I have this and I have this. But you looked at certain things in their life and you said, no, this one's going to be better at the position. Maybe the way that they work with other people. Maybe the way they got a team going. Maybe the way they finished their projects. Maybe whatever it might be, you saw some things in them that was better than the others. And how many of y'all know those people don't take it real well? They don't, people don't like to be passed over. They get upset. They say, why am, I, why am I passed over for that? And they begin to go over all these things. Well, they're, they're really just proving you made the right decision. You made the right decision. Have you ever uh, done this where you passed over a person for a role and they took it really well? And the next time that position came up, you considered that and said, all right, I think this person's ready for it now. And you put them in and they flourished in it. It tells you something about them. People who think they deserve a position or that they're more qualified for it than somebody else and are, are second-guessing you for having done it, having put this other person in charge, they're telling you right now they're not qualified. They're filled with pride. They're filled with pride about themselves. And God does not promote people in pride. And neither should we. So sometimes people want a position because they think they deserve it, they're qualified for it, or they're next in line to get it. Well, I'm next in line. I've been here the longest. Of all the people that are here, I've been here the longest. Well, just because you've been here the longest doesn't mean you're all that good. It may be you're here the longest because you couldn't find any other place to go work. Right? I mean, that may be the, may be the case. I heard one person uh, a number of years ago, they were talking about uh, uh, way back when the health care debate was first getting in. And this one person spoke up and they said, you know, I've been working at McDonald's for... I don't know, he, however years, eight years, whatever it is, and uh, I still don't get health care. I think uh, I ought to get health care working at McDonald's. No, go out there and get yourself a job that, that 
provides that for you. How come you haven't gone out there in eight years and, and gotten a job that gets you the health care that you want? Well, because you're not qualified. <laughs> if you can't excel past fifth and burgers, <laughs> I don't know. It's just Sometimes people just need to, to they think, oh, I, I deserve it because I've been here for so long. No, you deserve it if you are for, working for that company, if you are producing something that's good. Everybody always wants to talk about the big basketball players and all the money that they make. They don't deserve it. Yes, they do. They generate more money than they're being paid. That's why they get paid that much. Some of those guys, I mean, Allen Iverson. Remember he was here? Allen Iverson would sell out every building that he would go to. If he would go to Detroit, if he would go to Boston, the Sixers would show up. Allen Iverson's there on the team. They'd sell out just to see the guy play. Because he played with a intensity, a ferocity. A little tiny short guy. Man, he was well, short. He was probably my height. But it's short for basketball people. Of course, he was my height, and he could actually get to the rim of the basket. <laughs> but he was a good basketball player. He, he could handle the ball. He could, uh, he could do some things. He, would just, he played with an intensity. You just never saw him slow down. People like to come out and to see that. Uh, I don't think they came out to Philadelphia as much to, to see that, but they, when he would go to other places, he would just sell it out. Well, people like that who can sell tickets does deserve, I guess, some of that money to come back. That's why they get paid all that much money. It's a, the same kind of thing in any of those, those lines. We have to make sure that when we get with God, we're not looking at our qualifications that I deserve it. I'm more qualified. I'm next in line. People do this even with healing. How many times have you heard people complain that so-and-so was healed and they just got born again? I've been saved for 20 years and I'm still waiting to get healed in this thing. Well, you're trying to get healed on merit. Not by faith. You get healed by, by faith. Did you ever hear uh, Keith Moore talk about the story when he got baptized in the Spirit? He tells it a number of times on his, his uh, thing. But he, when he, he and Phyllis, his wife, uh, way back when they first got wind of being filled with the Spirit, they were going out to places, the meetings, and the, the big thing was tarrying for the Holy Spirit. Remember those meetings, they had Terry meetings, and you'd tarry Holy Holy Spirit for one hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, five. You'd be there all night long, tarrying for the Holy Spirit, waiting, wailing, and praying, and and um, he, he would be out there, he'd be there for a number of hours, just wailing, and oh God, you know, please fill me with the Spirit, and leave the meeting, nothing would happen. And his, his wife wasn't seeking after it at all, she'd just kind of wait in the room, and Wait for him to get done, and eventually she just started praying. Please, God, give him whatever it is that he wants. You know, <laughs> just just give him whatever it is that he wants. And um, and uh, well, that wasn't working. And so she figured, well, I, I guess what we ought to do is maybe we ought to go down there and find out what it is that he's seeking after. And so she came down to the front while he was tarrying and waiting, and she came on down with him five or ten minutes. She's filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues. <laughs> well, that made him matter. <laughs> He says, man, I've been out here. I've been tarrying all this time. Well, she approached it in faith. He approached it because that's what they were being taught. And uh, he tells, tells it very comically, but he eventually got the, uh, got the right way to go, and he was filled with the Spirit too. But we look at trying to go before God, and we're trying to deserve it. We try to qualify for it. We try to look at, I'm the next one online. I've been waiting the longest. I've been here the longest. And no, it's not going not gonna to go. Whatever it is that we're going to do for God, we're not going to do it because we deserve it, because we're qualified for it, or because we're next in line. We're going to do it because God wills. And because I've done the things to get myself ready. 
who said stability only comes one way. And as uh, we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, getting ourselves trained up, getting ourselves ready. If we do not do what we need to do to get ourselves trained, then we, God knows you're not going to be ready for what's coming up. I can't put you in that position because you are not going to be ready. But see, we're not always willing to, to hear the coach say that. Sometimes when I say, you don't understand, I've been, I've, been, I've been working hard. I've been out here the longest of everybody. Yeah, but you're not, you're not getting it done. You're not doing the things you need to do to get yourself trained. We've got to listen to him. But whatever it is that we do, never get to the place where we think, well, I should have that. And that should be mine. No, don't ever do that. Whatever it is that we got. Got it because God, God wills. And it may be that uh, sometimes we, we've been doing something for God. And, and God says, uh, you know what? You got a little, little uh, slack. Not quite pushing this the way that you should. And you need to, need to wise up because if we don't, guess what happens? We get an Elijah moment. God says, I got 7,000 people ready to take your spot. You better get with the program here. Do what you need to do. Well, Solomon is now king. David is proclaimed to be king. He takes over being king before David dies. David will die uh, shortly after this. But anyway, he is uh, taken over as king. And we're going to see some of the things that come against him. Because just because he was put in there, and just because um, God uh, liked him in there, we all know that because of the request that God said, hey, whatever you want, you tell me what you want, I'm going to do it for you. So obviously God was happy with the choice of Solomon. And Solomon does some great things here in the beginning, but he doesn't get off. But we're going to take a look at the beginning here, the great things that he does and the opposition that comes against him. Just because you are in the place that God puts you, doesn't mean that people aren't going to try and take it from you. And some people come over and they try and take it from Solomon in some very underhanded ways. Then God gave him wisdom to see it. Father, we thank you for the help you give us in our life. We will have situations where people have been promoted above us. Where we think we deserve something. And it begins to settle down on the inside and we begin to meditate on those things and it begins to tear us up. The enemy loves to use those things against us. Father, we need to stand against it. And understand there is nothing that we have that we deserve. We have it because God willed it. And we need to do the things to keep us in the will of God. Because it's not our merit that keeps us there. Father, I thank you for the help you give us. Keep ourselves ready to get ourselves ready for what comes next. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.